Welcome to Give and Take. It's the podcast where yours truly, Scott Jones, talks with authors, artists, activists, theologians, philosophers, political pundits, scholars, and a host of others about their work and the lens through which they experience life. I engage my guests in a free-flowing conversation that's entertaining, unexpected, occasionally bizarre, and hopefully enlightening above all. Thanks for listening to this episode of Give and Take. My guest is John Temple. His book, Up in Arms, chronicles how an isolated clan of desert-dwelling Mormons became the guiding light and then the outright leaders of America's patriot movement. The nation was riveted in 2014 when hundreds of armed Bundy supporters forced federal agents to abandon a court-ordered cattle roundup in the largest gathering of government-loathing organizations the FBI had ever witnessed. Then in 2016, Ammon Bundy, one of Cliven's 13 children, led a 41-day armed takeover of the Malheur National Wildlife Refuge in Oregon. These events and the subsequent shootings, arrests, and trials captured headlines but they're just part of a story that has never been fully told. John Temple tells that story in this fascinating book. We had a great conversation about it. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. I give you John Temple. John, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. You've written a fascinating book, Up in Arms, how the Bundy family hijacked public lands, outfoxed the federal government, and ignited America's patriot militia movement. Now, you came to this research, right, because you were working on a a like a script idea for a show was a, a, t- a show about the militia movement and this is how you kind of came to uh become interested in the bundy family yeah um there uh a, a couple of producers and myself had an idea about um uh, doing a uh a pilot for a tv show about um a, a, a militia family a family that was in the patriot militia movement and uh, coincidentally, at the same this you know was at the same time that some of the Bundy events were starting to unfold. So of course we were following that really closely. And then um, when that project didn't sort of you know go very far, um, I just stuck with the Bundys and you know, <laughs> decided to write a book about them because I just found them so interesting. So that was like your consolation prize. You're thinking you're going to be on Hollywood sets and you know, <laughs> all of a sudden, you know, scholar goes Hollywood, but you know, you stay scholar instead. Right. <laughs> yep. Another book rather than a, than a show. Yeah. Yeah. This is interesting. Cause I, I think I remember the incidents in 2014 and 16, one was in Oregon, right? And the other was um, uh, Nevada where the, where there were these, you know, pro- weird pro there's weird, like protests and these seizures of federal lands and stuff and over mm. cattle grazing and it was on cable news and stuff uh, and it, i think for most people it was just okay this is some crazy mm. you know some weird crazy thing that's disconnected from m- most of americans li- everyday life but you actually found that this is that this bundy family has a rich interesting kind of curious history right i mean this is a pretty yeah. interesting family that actually and, and some of their passions and concerns idiosyncratic as they might seem to some americans actually run deep in issues in american history yeah i mean you know we could we could talk for an hour about that um you know it it's a it's a much more complex story and family than you know was sort of portrayed in in the news media. Not that the news not not that the news did a terrible job in all all fronts or anything, but um, they are not designed to dig deeply into something like this. You know, 
uh, you know, particularly sort of like cable TV news, you know, type stuff. They're designed to sort of get pictures, get some sound bites, and and move on. But yeah, th- this this family is fascinating. They have a a, a, a very rich uh, history, as you said. Um, they are a Mormon family of of ranchers uh, ranching out in rural Nevada on public lands. So they 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 for many years paid fees to to graze on these lands that were controlled by the federal government. And then, you, make the, you make the point yeah. in the book that most people don't, don't I think, understand that the, when you go, like, if you're east of the Mississippi, there's not that much federal land. If you looked on a map that highlighted federal land, when you go west of the Mississippi, there's all this federal land, right? And, and right. There's, there's this history of the federal government making huge swaths of land west of the Mississippi federal land. And, and these are places where groups like Mormons who, who felt religiously persecuted and alienated were trying to sort of make a home for themselves, mm-hmm. you know, and, and had some kind of marginal identity in American life. And the, and the federal government coming to, you know, annex this land and make it federalized seemed, seemed to that. I mean, they, 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 there was a sort of generations old fear about this kind of activity. Yeah, I mean, several things kind of played into that. But, you know, just to step back and look at the land for a minute, like like you said, um, you know, east of the Mississippi, there's there's a little bit of federal land here and, you know, a national park there. But um, it's a very small percentage of, of the land. But in the 12 western states, almost half of the land is controlled by the federal government. And that's what we call public lands. And, of course, we know the big parks, Yosemite, you know, places like that. Uh, the big national parks, but there's a whole lot of other land that's just sort of sitting there that that belongs to the federal government. Um, and largely, it was it was just land that they couldn't give away. Um, you know, they gave away most of the uh, midwestern uh, agricultural land, so called Corn Belt, that stretches. Uh, uh, north and south through the middle of the country, um, you know that's all. That all was like good fertile agricultural land. It was easy to reach, stuff. But the the west is so arid and so mountainous that it was not land that anyone felt like they could use. So basically, the government kind of rented it out to cattle ranchers for many years. But that took a, a toll, and it, it, you know they began to sort of uh, strengthen environmental regulations around that land in the 70s and 80s and 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 then uh, it kind of became impossible for Clive and Bundy to to ranch that land um, after a while because the environmental regulations were getting stronger and he was running a pretty you know hand to mouth organization i mean it it was not a it was not a wealthy he was not a wealthy you know uh, rancher by any means um, and you know when it became politically, I mean, uh, economically unviable for him, he kind of adopted some political beliefs that um, the federal government shouldn't own land, and and he wasn't alone. But he was, uh, you know, the the guy who kind of started uh, a lot of uh, the sort of you know backlash against the federal government over. Yeah, yeah, stuff. and as you point in the book, right, even his, you know, maybe it was sort of a, a change in environmental policy. And how these grazing fees and things worked out that created a new situation for him. But he could look back into yeah. into American history and see, especially in the Mormon roots and things, he he could he he heard voices that sound similar, or he could discover a voice in that history, right? Mm-hmm. Even if even if he had to kind of discover it and get a new politics, but it, it, there there's this you know decades old issue that stretches back into the 19th century that that he kind of seems to be animated by. 
Yeah, that's really well put. I mean, he, uh, as a Mormon, you know, Mormons, um, you know, it's, it's the most American of, of religions, you know, um, you know, it was founded here and, and, you know, has really blossomed. I think. Did, did Joseph Smith say something like that he was going to do for America, what Muhammad did for Arabia? I mean, you know, kind of making this religion that's going to be indigenously American. Right. And really fit the American spirit. Yeah, and as a result, um, they believe uh, certain. I mean, I'm not going to say all Mormons believe this, but uh, many Mormons and certainly people like Clive and Bundy believe that uh, America is is very special for that reason, and um, that the the uh, uh, the Constitution itself of, of the United States is actually not just a political document but a holy document uh, you know it's a it's a, it's a work of scripture essentially um and and they they associate it with that so they you know the politics and the religion are deeply intertwined and and joseph smith did make a prophecy that um the the constitution would be quote hanging by a thread at some point um in, during history, and then and a, a group of Mormons would come in and and save the Constitution, and that is, you know, something that uh, you know I believe the Bundys uh, they have never really acknowledged that they believe this, but I believe that they thought they they thought of themselves as those people. Yeah, that's an exciting kind of religious picture if you're the Bundys. <laughs> I mean, oh, yeah. of, you I have mean, this political history, this religious kind of apocalyptic imagery that that really kind of ignites the imagination right oh i mean you're 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 that's why they were willing to uh you know go and stand in front of heavily armed federal agents who were pointing rifles at them and keep walking toward them that's why they were willing to go to jail for years and years and fight this and and uh yeah it's only you know i I, you know i think events around them (laughs) Uh, kind of confirmed or, you know, seemed to sort of confirm for them, um, you know, that they were sort of, uh, you know, chosen or anointed, you know, in this role. So, uh, and and the fact that like thousands and thousands of people showed up to support them in different situations, you know, strangers just, you know, rising up and, and, and facing down the federal government. I mean, it, it couldn't have been, I mean, you know, Whatever your politics are, you can kind of see how exciting that would be. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and what's interesting, because you kind of paint this picture in the book, that the Bundys didn't, I mean, they they galvanized a movement that was much bigger and broader than they were, right? I mean, that, yes. that these were not this, this not, these were not deep, they were not deep involved mm-hmm. in some of these militia movements and things that, that preceded them and, and were bigger than them. And, you know, like, but because of this sort of, I guess the common enemy kind of makes interesting bedfellows. Because of this, they're such a visceral symbol of this resistance to the tyrannical federal government mm-hmm. and the overreach that all these people become sympathetic to them that really maybe have really disparate stories. But the one thing that unites them is this antipathy for this, you know, encroaching federal government. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the 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 Bundys, of course, were concerned on you know somewhat self serving uh, level that uh, you know they were not going to be able to be ranchers anymore on this on this public land near their ranch. They, they owned a little one hundred sixty acre plot, but that you know in the West that's not enough land to sustain you know you know more than a couple of cows. Uh, so they had to you know range on you know and pay rent on all this uh, you know federal land. 
Um, when that became unsustainable in the in the 90s, they they adopted some of these views. So their their views were very much rooted in. I mean, their their sort of priority was the federal government shouldn't own land. Well, when they stood up against the the roundup that was happening of their cattle, and this is flashing forward to 2014. Um, they were standing up against the federal, you know, federal agents, and that just rang uh, rang out, you know, to people, to anyone who had a beef against the federal government. And you know, like you said, that's a very disparate crowd. You've got people who are um, passionate about um, immigration issues. You've got people who are passionate about like the, their fear that they're going to lose their right to carry arms. You know. You've got people, you know, you know, who are just uh, don't believe they should have to pay taxes, and you know, like you've got all the, these people who kind of rallied to their side that were not really on a philosophical or political level uh, that closely aligned to the Bundys, but they all found this common ground, and I think a lot of it had to do with how sort of I hate to use this term "all American" because what does that really mean? But uh, this, this sort of uh, stereotypically all American family of you know ranchers, you know, that's the most American you know <laughs> sort of uh, you know occupation you can imagine, you know, uh, on a mythological level. So yeah, um, it's this sort of rugged individuals. I mean, the the, the, yeah. the rustic romantic sort of we're living off the we're far you know cattle rancher, the sort of Western you know that yeah, there's so much that seems archetypically American in the imagination, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, cowboys, you know, I mean, that, that, that's, you know, America in a lot of people's minds. So, uh, the, you know, you've got cowboys facing off against federal agents who are, you know, sort of looking kind of like jackbooted thugs, you know, I mean, they're, they're in these, you know, matching uniforms and sunglasses and, and boots and, They've got tasers and dogs and 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 there's a this video going out across the country of 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 groups of sort of cowboys facing off against those guys and then getting tased and it just generated this tremendous response. Now we weren't reading about it in the mainstream media at that point, but these groups have their own information networks. They have their own sort of champions on on uh, conservative radio and, and stuff like that. And then eventually, Sean Hannity sort of you know took the bait and you know got got real excited about the story. And so uh, it's yeah, just this huge wave of sympathy for the Bundys. Occurred. No, it's interesting to me because you you did a lot of deep research i mean this is a long book it's it's meticulously thoroughly researched now you were doing a pilot on the militia movement right yeah i'm thinking if i'm writing a series reporter goes missing is definitely an episode right reporter gets gets captured journalist <laughs> academic gets captured is suspected i mean in fact That's weren't funny. there fbi <laughs> undercover people that were yeah. posing as documentarians and stuff so i mean like yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean you are you a little afraid? I mean, people, these are folks that are suspicious of, of you know, this is the kind of two America, you know, idea, yeah. you know, the, the, the divided America. I mean, you seem to be someone from, you know, the liberal elite. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Did, 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 did they fear you as an outsider? Uh, yes. Um, I, I, you know, the funniest aspect, well, there's a lot to that because as you said, um, during the time I was reporting this, the news broke that this uh, this team that, of FBI agents that had pretended to be uh, documentary filmmakers, then they had a company that they created called 
longbow productions and they, they 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 seemed to be sort of sympathetic to the bundys and they they went out and interviewed a whole bunch of uh, bundy supporters and the bundys themselves um in, in what they were really doing of course was gathering evidence um you know for an eventual court case against the bundys you know by interviewing them about what what they intended to do when they got out there and what did they do in these various standoffs the news broke while I was reporting this that um, that was, uh, you know, a, 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 an FBI operation. So, um, yeah, it made my job a lot harder because I was going out there saying, well, I'm, a, I'm writing a book. You know, can you talk to me in my iPhone about, you know, uh, what you did and, and, and all that kind of stuff. So I was doing kind of the same thing that the FBI had done. Uh, but um, I think... Um, you know, so there there was a lot of sort of background checking and suspicion of me and like uh, some people wouldn't talk to me and everything. I never felt unsafe. Exact. I mean, a couple of times, maybe I felt a little, you know, a uh, little, little strange, you know, but uh, I never. What, what, I, was, what, what was strange? Like what, what stuff? Uh, <laughs> well, a couple of times I'd be in a car with someone and we'd be driving off into the desert. And, uh, you know, uh, usually I'm pretty focused on sort of what I'm doing and the, and the, and the job and everything, but a couple times, like I, you know, it would thought crossed my mind. Yeah, I'm out in the middle of the desert with this guy, and I really don't know. You know, <laughs> are you like checking the trunk for shovels? Like, how <laughs> you know, it's like it's the desert. You know, they're like people get lost out there. But um, but uh, but uh, but most, I mean, really, the, I enjoyed most hanging out with most of these people, and that's you a had, lot of what a I good, did. You, you, know? did you, yeah. you, found, you found you found them likable. Uh, for the most part, I mean, they, you know, some of them, I mean, you know, every once in a while, like a political idea or they'd say something that was, I mean, I can't say anything that was, you know, like just out and out racist, but, it, you know, they would say things that, you know, kind of, you know, I, you know, I'd be sort of snapped back to the reality of the situation when I was in and everything. But, but by and large, these are people who are, um, you know, a, a big part of this to me was that. The, these folks were kind of yearning for a community, you know, and, and they, they like a lot of their events and rallies and like campouts in the desert and forts that they put up and everything. It, it, it all felt kind of like a big barbecue, you know? And, and I think that's sort of an underreported part of this, that like there is this community aspect. Um, and, and, I, and there are even like some, uh, some experts on domestic terrorism who are now sort of, promoting the idea that you know maybe it's just better to kind of leave these people alone because when they are uh, when they are in a group together they are far they there aren't very many um terrorist acts associated with a larger group because they tend to sort of socialize themselves and become a community and you know that you know whatever their rhetoric is it's kind of um they kind of satisfy that human need to like get together um, it's the lone wolves, the people who are motivated by that rhetoric, but are not, uh, they're, they're too wacky to like be part of even a militia group, um, uh, that tend to end up doing the violence, you know, uh, the actual, yeah, this is like, uh, so well, it's Robert Putnam's book, Bowling Alone, right? Like, the, you know, this, this, yeah, uh, this, right. this integration of American culture where so much, it's interesting that so many Americans feel so isolated. And yeah, I mean, that's interesting you put out. This is, it seems to be a place where, despite an ideology that might seem strange to people, there's actually human connection going on. There, yeah, there, I, I would see that all the time. I mean, these people love each other and they support each other. And, 
And, uh, you know, yeah, they get each other riled up, but they also, I think, kind of like calm each other down a little bit, you know, and, the, and there, there's this sense of like, well, we're doing something by rallying, which maybe prevents some of the, you know, I mean, you know, this is theoretical, obviously, but, you know, uh, it, you know perhaps it prevents some of the more, uh, you know, disturbed elements from actually going out and doing something on their own, because now they have a, a bit of a family, you know. Yeah, Clive Bundy, the, the sort of patriarch of this family, right? He had like what thirteen kids or something. Did he, he had a lot of kids. Yeah, right? yeah, thirteen kids. And uh, I mean, they had over two different marriages, and you know, some of them were stepkids and stuff. Yeah, that's still impressive. Two marriages. Yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> very it's a lot of kids. I mean, yeah, let's say hey, let's right. let's not diminish his achievement there. Uh, yeah. I want to take a brief moment to ask you a quick question. Do you like this podcast? Do you enjoy it? Do you look forward to listening to it while you do a morning, afternoon, or evening routine, or while you're exercising, or while you're caught frustrated in traffic? Do you tune into it because of the conversations you find here? If the answer to the aforementioned questions is yes, or even just a solid maybe, would you do something for me? Would you consider becoming a Patreon sponsor of the podcast for just five bucks a month? Or more, it's for a good cause. You can help this podcast and one of the many others I do keep going. And you can help launch several other podcast projects I've got in the works. So I invite you to be a patron through Patreon of this, which I think is an art form you're enjoying and will continue to enjoy. Again, any contribution is welcome, but for five bucks a month, you will get a shout out on the thank you roll call, which begins right now. Thank you, David Babico, Ken Skillman, Ellis Brazil, David Zoll, Sari Graham, Peter Steigerwald, Jennifer Spate, Ben DeHart, Joel Wentz, Jordan DeMice, Samantha Conower, Simone Garabedian, David Norling, Charlotte Donlin, Larry Rule, Stephen Lipless, John Schneider, Ben Crosby, Liam O'Brien, Jim Crest, Stephen Rowe, Jordan Morseberger, Josh Redder, Jody Stevenson, Andrew Stravitz, Glenn Stalsmith, Greg Johnson, and Kai Winkenig. If you want to join these patrons through Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. Thanks again for listening, and now back to the show. His son Ammon, right, who becomes a prominent figure in right. this movement, was not. Didn't seem like he'd be that kind of. I mean, he was, he, he went away to like Arizona, right? Became a businessman. Yeah. This guy was like not. It's kind of like Jerry Falwell Jr.'s this real estate development, then becomes this religious figure at, at Liberty. You know, like you know, like it doesn't. Yeah, right. You know, right. you don't. Ammon Bundy's not the guy you'd see based on that. Like your research, it would seem uh, in, in your book, like. He's not the guy you'd pick to to wind up as one of these movement leaders, right? I, I that fascinated me so much about Ammon um, because, yeah, he was you know he grew up in this sort of isolated ranch with these somewhat fundamentalist Mormon family, and you know this real hard line father and everything who was just bound and determined to just keep on ranching and kind of defy the federal government and everything. And most of the kids kind of, and most of the sons at least kind of ended up doing things that were similar to what Clavin was doing, construction, ranching, uh, gold, one of them you know, works at a gold mine. There's a lot of gold mining around there. Um, and Ammon was kind of the one who struck out on his own, um, went in a different direction. He moved to a bigger city. He moved to Phoenix. He, uh, started a family, um, 
And he started a business that was pretty successful, uh, doing maintenance for truck fleets. And he had a bunch of employees, you know, a couple dozen employees. Uh, you know, he's doing really, really well. He was developing some software and, and, um, you know, much more mainstream American. He was interacting with a diverse group of people and traveling and, you know, doing things that are sort of a little bit more mainstream. So he, yeah, like you said, he would be the last person, the last member of the family that you would suspect would end up being the galvanizing force for this movement. But even more than his father, Ammon was the one who, and it was this whole series of events that happened to him, starting with him getting, you know, he went back to kind of help his family during this, uh, when they were, uh, kind of trying to fight, uh, you know, rally against, uh, the roundup of the cattle that was happening at their house, and, um, and that was he, in Nevada. That up, was the Nevada the area, right? That's that in Nevada. Nevada. Yeah, in yeah. Nevada in 2014, he he went to you know back home and kind of like helped his family during that time. And he was not doing anything particularly political. He was kind of cooking hamburgers and stuff like that. But at one point, uh, the kind of crucial moment in his turning point in his in his life, at the, you know, in this sense, it was that. Uh, you know, at one point, he and a bunch of other protesters kind of confronted a group of federal agents who were uh, involved in the roundup, and he ended up getting tased several times. And that, and there, there was a video of it that just went, you know, you know, millions and millions of views, and kind of generated this massive response of people traveling to Bundy Ranch, and he became very famous and 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 kind of a figurehead in the movement. Hey, I mean, just never underestimate the importance of getting tased at the right time on camera. <laughs> yeah, there's gotta be like if that if, if they hadn't had that iPad, uh, you know, there's this guy who considered himself a reporter there, and he he had an iPad, and yeah, if he hadn't had that iPad, none of us would know the name Ammon Bundy probably. And he winds up being, you know, at the center of this this other in 2016, this other event, right? And it's in Oregon, yeah. right? Where where we yeah. Where there's this see there's this seizure, this wildlife place, like there's all this damage done. I mean, this is a big I mean, this is this yeah. is more aggressive. I mean, this is kind of not just we're we're not kind of just defending cattle. Yeah. We're we're kind of we're 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 going on the offensive here. Yeah, yeah. They were both they were di- very different events. You know, the one in Nevada was huge. There were thousands of people and hundreds of people actually facing off. Uh, you know, and many you know, many of them had weapons and you know, some of them were pointing their weapons at the uh at, at federal agents. Um in that's in the Nevada thing. That that was kind of the climax of that event. So that that was that was a big event. Um, they all met each other there, but then uh, the more sort of radical event, I guess I would say, was then two years later in defense of a different family, you know, sort of purportedly on behalf of this other family in Oregon, this ranching family that was uh, having trouble with the federal government as well. Um, Ammon decided to go up to Oregon and 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 stage this uh, takeover of some federal land and some federal buildings up there. Um, in this very isolated part of uh, Oregon, and he did it, and there was a 41-day sort of occupation, they called it. But it was smaller because there were just simply fewer people <laughs> who were willing to go to that length. Um, one of his brothers went with him, but um, Clive and Bundy himself was like, I'm not sure why they are doing this. You know, So so it was too radical even for Clive and, and for most people. It was a, it was a, a few, you gotta, few dozen that, people. That's got to give you – like pause if you're having it's sort of like when black <laughs> when black sabbath says to ozzy osbourne 
a little too much sex, drugs, and rock and roll. We don't feel safe with you in the band. <laughs> like when Black Sabbath right, right. says, we don't feel safe with you in the band, that's you a time to really problem. check yourself before you wreck yourself. If, if Clive says, hey, I mean, I don't, you seem like you're off the reservation. That's really, I, that would be, that would give me pause. Yeah, it was, it was, it was so telling because Ammon at that point was, you know, he had just made such a transformation from this family man and business owner to the guy leading the <laughs> Patriot movement in a direction that like very few people have ever, you know, gone down, which is taking over, you know, you, you know, going out with a group of men with rifles and taking over a federal compound. I mean, that, you know, you have to kind of look back to the sixties to see people, you know, to find out, you know, like, you know, the black Panthers occupying various places. And, you know, it, it's been a while since we had anyone doing something like that. And Ammon since broke with the with the Patriot movement. I mean, he he yeah. he has and he both Bundy he and his father have been supportive of immigrants. I mean, I don't know if some of this is their own religiosity and sympathy to mm. the to the to the to the refugee kind of thing. And and I mean, they have been critical of some of. I mean, they've been supportive of Trump on some things, but on other things around the immigration thing, they've been mm-hmm. supportive of the people coming in the caravan. I mean, I, I was looking at some stuff on Twitter where people were accusing Ammon Bundy of being, you know, how many shekels did you take, you know, to get in with Tom Stein and Taurus? Like all this nationalist kind of anti-Semitic rhetoric and all this stuff, just because he had spoken out for, uh, you know, sympathetically to immigrants, you know, coming from the Southern, on the Southern border. I mean, you know, it's complex, you know, it's, it's just always more complex than we kind of think, you know, you know, initially when we hear about people like this, like, you know, whenever I would tell people that I was writing about this, they'd be like, Oh, those are crazy racist people. And I'd be like, well, some of them are crazy racist and then others are, you know, something a little different than that. And, and Ammon, I think, you know, it really surprised a lot of people last fall when he, came out against Trump and said that all the rhetoric around the caravan and everything was BS and that, that, that the immigration policies that Trump was uh, espousing were, were, uh, were wrong and that people should be generally treated with respect and that, you know, we should welcome people to America. And, uh, man, there was a huge backlash. I mean, and he ended up actually quitting kind of formally, you know, renouncing the Patriot movement. It did not, having spent enough time with Ammon and with the people around him, it did not, neither, neither of those things surprised me. It didn't surprise me that Ammon, uh, came out because I think he, uh, wants to be, uh, it just didn't surprise me. It was in keeping with what, what I'd always heard him say and everything where Ammon went wrong was, <laughs> um, in a sense, um, it, you know, it is, uh, besides the fact that he took over a lot, you know, a, a federal compound with, with guns, um, uh, you know, if you can excuse that, um, the, where he went, <laughs> hey, who, where, hasn't, you know, <laughs> who hasn't taken over a federal I mean, compound we, we've with all considered doing trying. that, right? Yeah. But, yeah, but if you can excuse that, um, the thing he did that, that was sort of hypocritical, but that was in line with his thinking and what he was saying, where, where he was a bit hypocritical was that he was associating with people who, if he'd done a quick Google search, he'd see, and you know, that they were, uh, you know, putting out, you know, uh, anti-Muslim, you know, racist videos and, or they were, you know, anti-Semitic or, you know, whatever they, 
So um, he didn't do his due diligence, and I think there was a little bit of willful ignorance on his part because he kind of little... needed the bodies. You know what I mean? Tent was a little too broad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, so it's um, but it did not. But it didn't surprise me when he came out against Trump because I, I, I don't, I don't think the Bundys can. On some level, I think they they agree with Trump's some of Trump's policies because Trump is trying to systematically sort of dismantle the you know federal uh land agencies and you know destroying them from within i think by appointing people who like don't believe in you know federal land conservation to key posts within that but um he so 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 they they probably kind of like that but they they kind of loathe the man you know himself i think now a, a family like this that gets involved in these kinds of skirmishes conf, uh, outright confrontations with the federal government has fbi undercover agents posing as documentarians you're imagining this family's lives are going to be ruined and they're all going to be behind mm. bars for their entire lives but that's not really the case right i mean this is not I, their story does not end with as many perp walks as, as one would think right well they all spent a couple of years in jail and that's not nothing you know i mean they yeah. they had a you know jail is hard on anyone and um these are not people who were like in and out of jail all their lives and knew how to adjust to it you know they they struggled while they were in jail but um yeah in the in the in the end um there there were two big court cases one in there were actually many court cases related to this but there were two sort of big court trials of the bundys one in oregon and one in nevada and the one in oregon ended up with the jury acquitting the Bundys of almost everything, um, despite it being completely obvious what they'd done. Um, and, you know, the government having tons of evidence, um, a jury acquitted them. Um, and, you know, there, I think there's a number of reasons why they acquitted them, but um, they, I think that uh, the, the federal government kind of overcharged them, meaning they put a charge on them that they weren't quite able to prove, you know, in hopes of getting, there really wasn't the interesting thing about the Oregon thing is there really wasn't a, a, a criminal charge that really fit the crime, you know, exactly. Like you'd have to write a new, uh, a new law. But that, what, were they char- what, what were they charged with? They were charged with um, impeding federal employees from doing their jobs, which is the only sort of felony charge that uh, they that the the feds could really figure out how to come up with. And they didn't in the jury was like, you know, seemed to be a pretty good jury in in, in a sense. And they they didn't seem like they were like heavily weighted toward the Bundy's or anything, but they just in the end apparently felt like, yeah, the Bundy's probably broke a bunch of laws, but they didn't quite break that one, you know, (laughs) Um, or, you know, it wasn't proven that they'd broken that one. So, so they, they walked, you know, and then they went to Nevada and faced a whole, um, slew of, uh, you know, charges there, um, and from dating back to the 2014, uh, the, you know, events around the, the Bunny Ranch roundup in 2014, where they faced off against the federal government. There were actually people pointing guns at federal officers and all this stuff was on video. And, you know, I mean, it was like clear, you know, the, the, the evidence was very clear cut, but what happened in that case was the government overstepped and the federal prosecutors as federal prosecutors do from time to time, um, 
withheld some evidence and withheld a lot of evidence. And the judge kept finding out about it. And she's a fairly liberal uh, Obama appointee judge. And she had been a um, public defender, uh, like a federal public, public defender, and probably had seen these kind of shenanigans and cases of her own. And she threw out the case, essentially. Uh, because she just thought there was uh, prosecutorial misconduct. It's interesting. Something that a fact that stands out in my mind for the last presidential election, Hillary Clinton won one sixth of the counties in this country, right? Trump mm-hmm. won five sixths. So Trump won like 80% of the counties in the country. Right. And yet right. the counties that Hillary won represented represent almost 70 percent 65 or 67 percent or something of our gdp i mean that's a mm, alarming yeah. statistic in fact that, that, that this two americas where and, and certain resources tend to be really clustered uh, you know in, in a pretty concentrated part of the country i mean it, it seems like this story in part is part of that story too that there's another that, that we, we do live in a sort of in separate americas you know maybe more than two i'm sure but but this seems to be a story that reflects a sort of different America than a lot of people that live in the coastal, you know, kind of metro areas are aware of, right? Yeah, that's what drew me to this. Um, you know, it's an interesting and sometimes, you know, often kind of exciting series of events. But the thing that really drew me to this was I felt like the 2014 events where, you know, there were pictures being broadcast of people pointing guns at federal officers and then not getting arrested um, and thousands of people showing up at Bundy Ranch who didn't know the Bundys just to sort of support them in their you know fight against the federal government. I think that was a real wake up moment for people. Once that news really broke in kind of the mainstream media, I think people were like, what the hell is going on here? And, um, that nowadays I think we're way more attuned to the division in the country, obviously, you know, you know, we're all sort of experts on that now. Right. But, um, at that point, um, I think it was very surprising to people. And that, that is what I kind of wanted this book to be is to sort of, you know, try to unpack what actually happened, uh, in these events and then what, what impact did it have? And I, you know, I almost began to sort of think of this story as, as a, uh, case study and, um, what is it like to live within a certain information silo? Because, you know, the people who are, um, following the Bundys, they do not consume the mainstream media. I mean, they might hate watch it from time to time, but they're they're pretty much getting information from each other and some very, very extreme sources. So their reality is completely different than ours. If your reality is the information that you're receiving, they're living in a world where the federal government is irredeemably corrupt, always overreaching, and trying to actively take land and resources away from rural people via environmental laws and via um, uh, restrictions on the second amendment. So if that's what you believe, then fighting the, you know, standing up against the federal government and taking over things and pointing guns at federal officers is, is not an unreasonable response. If that is your information realm. (laughs) How do you think fame changed the Bundy's? Mm, That's a really good question. Um, I think it made in Cliven's case. I think he turned from a you know a guy who was living a 
he was definitely the uh, the king of his own little family of his own large family, um, but you know, not a well known guy outside of that. And then he became kind of the king of the patriot movement, and it and it. I think he got very very grandiose. He began referring to himself in the third person. He began sort of channeling God's wishes to his followers, and you know things like that. Um, you know, and it's harder to say. Um, you know, I I think Ammon is a very uh, genuine guy and and wants to be a good person and and, and all of those things. Um, did ego play into what he did? I, you know, it's hard to. That's a good question. I don't know. Um, and you know, fame certainly changed him in that he suddenly had this huge platform. Um, but I think what, what really changed him was his perception that his family, like his growing perception after he got tased and, you know, various other trials and tribulations happened to him that he began to think of himself as sort of persecuted and, you know, someone who needed to stand up. So, but uh, yeah, it, it, how fame changed Cliven is is much more clear to me. Where, whereas I'm not sure about it. Have any of the Bundys read your book? I do not know. <laughs> I have not been in contact with them since then. Um, people around them have read it, and I've had uh, mixed reviews because uh, there are some people who read it, and if it's not a straight up. Uh, you know, sort of glorification of the Bundys, um, then they're not going to be happy about it. And if it's, uh, and, and this certainly is not that, you know, um, but I tried to render them as human beings, not as villains or, you know, not as just, you know, pure, you know, you know, bad guys or crazy people or whatever. You know, I think there are reasons why they did what they did. They may not, you know, they may have done the wrong thing or whatever, but they're, they're, they didn't do it with just for no reason whatsoever. Um, but I have had other members of the Patriot movement, pretty hardcore members reach out and say, I didn't agree with everything you wrote, but I really enjoyed the book. And I thought, I thought you gave us a fair shake. So, you know, that's kind of, kind of what you want to hear, you know? Um, well, it's a great book. Uh, and thank you, you know, thanks for writing it and thanks for taking some time talking with me about it. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it, Scott. Those are, this was a good conversation. Thanks for listening to Give and Take. If you liked what you heard, please do a couple things for me. They are so helpful if you do them. Share this interview on social media or via email or tag someone in a tweet or something and say, hey, this is great. Check it out. Spread the love and goodness if you found it here. Also, if you could go, please, 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 it takes like 60 seconds. Go to iTunes and write a review and give a, give a rating to the podcast. It really, really helps, especially as things are getting off the ground. And if you want to consider becoming a Patreon sponsor, you can just go right to the link on the podcast page, giveandtake.fireside.fm. You can find all the information there. Thanks to John for coming on the podcast. Do check out his book, Up in Arms. You won't regret it. And thanks again to you for listening to Give and Take. Until next time, friends, fare thee well.